0: Then, verily, those two words alert you to the fact that if you've not been paying attention, you've missed the subject. This is one of those unfortunate chapter divisions where that you're coming out of chapter 8 and you're learning about a great contrast between the law and the Lord, between life and And conditions under the law with its ritual and its tabernacle. In contrast to life in the Lord with his superior priesthood in the very heavens themselves before the presence of God. And then you come to chapter 9, then verily. So there's a sense of zeroing in as the chapter begins. Then, verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. You and I usually call that the holy place. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. You and I usually call that the holy of holies. Which had the golden censer in the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna. And Aaron's rod that budded. And the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubs of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly or in detail. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. The priests went into the holy place. But into the second tabernacle, holy of holies, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this, signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not Yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings, the Greek word is baptisms, and carnal or external ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation but Christ. Father, we've tried to read the scripture this morning with a certain sense of cadence and specificity so that some sense of the rationale and the logic would be manifest. But that said, We would not depend in any way upon our ability to read it or even to study it, but we would depend upon the Spirit who gave it to help us in understanding it and applying it to the uniqueness of our opportunity yet this morning. We know, even as we begin, that it continues to commend before our hearts and minds the blessedness, the superiority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our prayer that as we work the text, that our understanding would increase, that the warmth of our heart would indeed be significant, and that the resolve of our minds for the week ahead would be for your honor and your glory as we love you back who loved us first. Bless, then, the study of this text in this hour, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. But Christ, last two words read, first two words of verse 11, last two words bear evidence of the glorious contrast being developed. You come to this, another of those blessed Bible buts, where that the true tabernacle, As first referenced, chapter 8, verse 2, continues to be contrasted with the earthly tabernacle used under Moses, chapter 8, verse 5, to illustrate the difference between the old covenant under the law and the new covenant in the Lord. All of Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10 is ultimately about the new covenant in the Lord. But there's a constant referring to the Old Covenant because, indeed, it is foreshadowing of that which is in the New. It is, indeed, prophesying of that which is fulfilled in the New, even as we understand that the Old Testament priesthood, and especially the High Priest ministry, uniquely foreshadows Jesus Christ as our High Priest priest. If you were to take a single sentence away from Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10, it would simply be this. In the Lord, we are so much better off than under the law. In the Lord, we are so much better off than under the law. There are three words in the text that greatly assist my thinking as to the plain meaning of this section and helpful as it relates to application. The first word is signifying, verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this, signifying. Signifying is the word that describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament era. The word simply means to make known to show, to declare. The tense of the word indicates that the Holy Spirit made something known and that the Holy Spirit made that thing known perpetually or time and again and time and again and time and again from the very beginning of when the law was given to Moses. Our understanding of this scripture is impacted by the signifying of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was saying something. The Holy Spirit was showing you something. The Holy Spirit was declaring to us something in that Old Testament structure under the law. The next word is found in verse 9, and that is the word figure. Referring to the tabernacle under Moses, made, it says, which was a figure for the time then present. The word figure is the Greek word parable, and is most usually translated parable. The Old Testament tabernacle is said to be a parable, or an earthly story, with a heavenly meaning. It is said to be a parable. It is said to be that which reveals to the people of God truth so that those with eyes to see can see. The holy tent, the Old Testament tabernacle, reveals the truth to be seen by the people of God. And specifically, it reveals the truth of Christ. For all to see who can see. If you can see of the Lord, then you should be able to see this. That that old tent and the rituals associated with that tent are a parable, are a story meant to conceal and to reveal so that the people of God can get it. Interesting. Talking about the structure of the Old Testament tabernacle as a parable figure, verse 9. And then the third word that I'd call your attention to is, verse 10, reformation. Sometimes I wonder here, In uh, reformed country times a thousand, I wonder if reformers know that the word reformation is only found one time in the English Bible. Here it is. Here it is right here. One time in the English Bible. Nonetheless, reformation uh, only found once in the English Bible. uh, But the word designates the time in which our Savior came to make straight or to make things right. The word is used medically to speak of the alignment and the setting of bones. I know something about that, and I will not share it this morning. In the case of Christ, it speaks of his making right at the cross by bearing the sins of humanity. Reformation means making right, and Christ is the one who makes right. Thus, verse 11 begins, but Christ, we're talking about Christ and the time of Reformation. In a nutshell, this passage asserts that life in the Lord is so much better than life under the law, And it sets up the further emphasis upon the blood of Christ in sacrifice as the ninth chapter will continue. Chapter 9 builds upon the former truth of the Old and New Covenants telling us of the Holy Spirit signifying of the greater work of the Savior in that holy tent of meeting. The Old Testament tabernacle built by skilled craftsmen under Moses according to the blueprint that had been received at Sinai directly came from God and points to Jesus Christ in three ways. Here's what the passage says, that that Old Testament tabernacle and the rituals that surround the tabernacle specifically, directly point to Jesus Christ in three ways. Here are the three ways. Number one, the tabernacle points to the person and work of Christ in its prescribed declaration and furnishings. Hebrews 9, 1 to 5. So in verse 2, you have, for there was a tabernacle made, talking about the first one, the old one, under Moses, wherein was candlestick, table, showbread. Those were the things that were in the sanctuary. Then there was the holy of holy place where you find the Ark of the Covenant, and between the two, of course, the golden censer. And so you have a description of the decorations and the furnishings of the tabernacle. Now, I'm sure that you've heard sermons preached about how the lampstand in the holy place connects to the Lord Jesus as the light of the world, or how the table of showbread in the holy place uh, connects to the Lord as the bread of life. This is the passage, Hebrews 9, 1 to 10 is the passage that makes those kind of connections legit without this clear statement of new testament connection between what was and what is in the lord between without this uh, you and i would only be guessing but when somebody puts up that big tabernacle chair on the wall and they make a deal about all the furnishings and they make a deal about the priesthood and all the things that are going on, I'm telling you, that is legit. The reason we know it's legit is because the Bible itself tells us it's legit. The tabernacle points to the person and the work of Christ as prescribed in its decoration and its furnishings. When the writer says in verse 5, we cannot now speak in particular about this kind of stuff. (laughs) That is a profound understatement. How long can you study the tabernacle? How long can you teach on the tabernacle in an adult Sunday school class? How long uh, could you do that? Well, you could do it for a year. You could do it for five years. You could do it for 10 years. You could do it for 20 years. One old goat of a preacher I know has been at it for over 50 years. There's just no end to the way in which even the furnishings of the tabernacle of old point to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally every piece of furnishing and every element of construction in the tabernacle of old speaks and points to the Savior. I've told you before the story of a guy that I had in my first church that every time we had a testimony time in the church he would stand up and say I've been so blessed by this Bible verse I want to share it with the congregation. He'd stand up and quote the passage in scripture in Chronicles, it says to at the par bar, fire at the par bar and uh, and blah, uh, blah, 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 blah and sit down. And people look at him like he was nuts and he was nuts. <laughs> but I took that text and preached on that nutty passage because the fact is that of that guy. But I'm just telling you the fact that that even in the in the par bar, you say, what is that? Well, go look it up. I'm not going to tell you everything. Go look it up, Uh, uh, you know, and and there's these things called parbar as it relates to tarot. Now, in all of those things, there's some kind of foreshadowing of Christ. I mean, every nut and bolt, every stitch and curtain in some way speaks of Christ. Now, what our text says in Hebrews 9 is that elaborate foreshadowing was under the blessed control, and the revelation of God, the Holy Spirit. That's the word signifying, verse 8. The Holy Spirit was signifying in all of that, in all of that. Now, what he was signifying, we'll get to that in just a minute, but he was signifying. If you are aware of the 15 by 30 foot designated space called the holy, holy place, And if you are aware of the additional 15 by 15 foot designated space called the Holy of Holies, or in our text called the holiest of all, as you have it here, you know that the furniture was arranged within the compartments in a very prescribed manner. That prescription and that order of arrangement reflects heavenly reality and reveals the great work of Jesus Christ. Most of you know that the only piece of furniture that was actually inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, containing the pot, the rod, and the stones, the tablets. Yet verse 4 reads as if the incense altar was likewise in the Holy of Holies. The point being made has to do with the close proximity of that incense altar, uh, especially as it became in play on the Day of Atonement, uh, uh, where that uh, the high priest would take the smoke off that incense altar into uh, the Holy of Holies. Again, even in all that, the placement of the furniture, the fact that that incense altar set right at the curtain so that when the curtain was parted and the high priest went in once a year that he could take the smoke uh, from the incense altar right into the presence of God, right into the Holy of Holies. Even that. Uh, was all a signifying of the Holy Spirit. All of that was the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit pointing to the person and the work of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. The tabernacle points to Christ as to its decoration. You could spend a lifetime studying it. Secondly, the tabernacle likewise points to Christ in its operation. Look again at 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. Now, when these things were thus ordained, or thus appointed, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, into the holy place, accomplishing the service of God. And then verse 7 says but into the second went the high priest alone. So you have, reference now, uh, the operations of the tabernacle as to the common daily operations in the place called Holy, the Holy Place, 15 by 30 tented room, and the once-a-year operation in the 15 by 15 room called the Holy of Holies you have a particular point of reference upon the daily operation of the priest as well as the yearly operation of the high priest. Verse 6 tells us of those common Jewish priests that daily engaged in, quote, accomplishing the service or worship of God. The Old Testament priests facilitated the system of sacrificial offerings and gifts of thanksgiving and praise. They served God's purpose for that period as mediators between the sinful and yet brokenhearted members of the congregation and thrice holy God. The point is made, however, That the common priest never, the Bible makes the particular point that the common priest never entered the Holy of Holies. They were assigned to the space of the Holy Place. They were not assigned to the space of the Holy of Holies. They did facilitate something in relationship to God. But it was by no means complete or intended as an end-all. Then, as verse 7 says it, the high priest is, is referenced. But into the second went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of The people. The high priest went into the holiest of place. The holy of holies. But he only did it once a year. And he wouldn't dare do it without the blood of sacrifice. The blood of sacrifice which first was uniquely effective in presenting of himself before God. And then as he represents the aspect of the sinful members of the congregation. He alone entered the holy place on earth on a day called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, which was on the Jewish calendar last Wednesday. Yom Kippur was celebrated by Jews uh, last Wednesday, October the 5th. Again, I must invoke uh, the phrase from verse five, we cannot now speak of these things particularly can 't talk about this in detail. The passage is not seeking to take us off on rabbit trails of all the glorious details that could be brought to bear bear. The passage has a point, and we 're interested in the thrust and the point of the passage as we have it here before us in this place. but what we will say is that no single ritual more profoundly points to the person and the work of Christ than the work of the high priest on Yom Kippur. If you've never borrowed from me the little video from the Friends of Israel on the Day of Atonement, I would highly suggest that when you have an extra hour to watch something good, that you would request it. I'd be glad to share it with you and which you're walk through the aspect of what took place on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur when the high priest went into the holy of holy place uh, once a year. The daily sense of sacrifices and the yearly sense of sacrifice complement each other profoundly. Those with a heart for worship in the Old Testament scriptures or during the days of the Old Testament era could deal with their sins by faith throughout the year in obedience to God. And then they could know that the things that they forgot about or the things that they were unaware of were likewise covered on the special day of covering enacted by the high priest once a year. Righteous ritual of the daily brand points to Christ. Righteous ritual of the superior brand in the high priest points to Christ. And both the daily sense of righteous ritual... And the, uh, and, the, and the uncommon sense of righteous ritual was controlled by, indicated, made known by uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the grand governor of all the revelation of God communicated to man. And so the tabernacle, as to its decoration, points to Christ, The tabernacle, as to its operations, both the operation of the common priesthood and the operation of the uncommon high priest, they all point, it all points, it all points to Christ. Number three. The tabernacle points to the personal work of Christ, but it's obviously marked by limitation. Now here's where it gets good. Here's where it gets good. Here's where you get to where the rubber meets the road, in this particular text of Scripture. Again, verse 8. The Holy Spirit, this. What does this refer to? It refers to uh, the tabernacle's decorations. It refers to the tabernacle's operations, both daily and, and once a year. Uh, the Holy Ghost, this signifying, this making known, this declaring that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing. What a phenomenal (laughs) verse of scripture. What does it say? It says all of that. I mean, all of that, I mean all of that declaration and all of that, I mean all of that, all of that operation, all of that declaration, all of that operation as prescribed by God the Holy Spirit is making the point that it will not ultimately work the way we need it to work. It is a stopgap. It is duct tape on a leaky pipe. It may hold for a little while, but ultimately, you need a new pipe. Not everything in this world can be fixed by duct tape. And certainly when it comes to your broken heart and your broken mind and your broken life, Duct tape will not do. The Holy Spirit was signifying in that elaborate decoration and in that elaborate operation of the Old Testament tabernacle that it was indeed duct tape. It was prescribed as duct tape. Now, it's quite the duct tape because verse 9 says, which was a parable. The duct tape wasn't just duct tape. We can't walk away just saying, well, it was just a temporary thing. Yes, it was a temporary thing. But We can't just say it was just a temporary thing. Oh, no. We can't just say it was just duct tape. No, we can't say it that way. We can't characterize it that way. Why? Because it's not only duct tape. It's also a letter from God. It's a parable. It's a story with a point. And the point is Christ. Verse 8 informs us that the Spirit's teaching that the only way into the holiest, the only way into the actual presence of the Almighty for the common worshiper was not yet made manifest. During the days of tabernacle operations, it was purposely, and divinely limited in its duration, and it was limited in its relational effect with God. Verse 9 informs us that the Old Testament tabernacle was the Spirit's parable for the time then present. Excuse me. And that it could never make the high priest, that was governing over the process, that it could never make the high priest governing over the process perfect. Verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present. It was a parable for them back there. It was a parable, a story to reveal to the people of God what God was going to do in Christ. It was a parable then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him, referring back to the high priest, that did the service, that performed the righteous ritual, it could not make him complete, could not make him perfect as pertaining to the conscience he still knew himself to be a sinful man before God. The people that he ministered knew themselves to be sinful before God. That Old Testament tabernacle stood only, verse 10, stood only in meats or food and drinks. You read the Old Testament law, And there's all kinds of dietary regulations. There's all kinds of drink offerings. And uh, things are to be cooked, and things are to be burned, and things are to be drunk, and things are to be spilled out. And there's all of these regulations uh, as it relates to food and drinks. And then there's all kinds of regulations as it relates to, Bible words, verse 10, diverse washings, or diverse multiplied baptismos, baptisms. Dunkings, uh, dip, uh, dip, dip the dove in the water. Uh, dip your fingers in the water. Dip the, dip the cloth in the water. Sprinkle the water. Sprinkle the blood. Uh, do this. Do that. Uh, uh, turn yourself. You know, no hokey pokey, but turn yourself around. And uh, and uh, and and all of these elaborate uh, elements of food and drink and 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 dippings or washings, and carnal. We usually think of that word as sinfully carnal. It's just simply saying external here. Uh, uh, That tabernacle stood uh, as a testimony of ritual in food and drink, in diverse baptisms or washings, in external ordinances. And all of that, and all of that, and all of that, and all of that was, here's the Bible word, imposed. See it? Imposed. See that? Imposed pressed on them, put, stuck, pushed, pressed on those people until the time of making straight, until the time of making right, really right, Fully right. Perfectly right. What a phenomenal characterization of the law of God. Holy, yes. Just, absolutely. Important even today. You got that right. Yet, provided no sense of power in order to perform rightly before thrice-holy God. And all of the decoration, and all of the operation, including its very limitation, prescribed by God to impose, to push, to press upon his ancient people the necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way for anyone to be made right before God. It has nothing to do with what you eat or drink. It has nothing to do with what water you dip or dunk in. It has nothing to do with the aspect of uh, external ordinances or rituals, including communion. What did I just say? I just said you can get some sinner here and you can bring him to a church service and he can drink that grape juice and he can eat that little cracker. He can do it month after month after month after month after month after month after month and be faithful in it for a lifetime and still die and go to a Christless eternity. Because nobody is saved by a righteous ritual. You are saved by personal relationship With Jesus the Christ. And so then, please, may we in the church talk about Jesus, sing about Jesus, read about Jesus, enjoy the Lord Jesus, make it about the Lord Jesus and not ourselves. Please, please, let's talk about Jesus. Father, thank you. For an hour in which the complexities of the text yield a profound simplicity once again in the person, the blessed person, and the work, the glorious work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, may he be the theme of our song. May he be the theme of our life. May he be the focus of our thinking. May he be the greatest love of our heart. May he be the focus of our walking before you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.